That's what Bubba represents for me. And as we look at this psalm this morning, Psalm 133, you're going to hear about what happens when we come and dwell together. David? How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. This is God's word. As we come to the gospel reading this morning, these are again very familiar words. It is one of the stories that is often preached about after Easter. The moniker placed on Thomas is the one of doubter, and yet I don't believe that's really what we're dealing with here. And we'll hear more about that. But notice how Jesus continually provides what these disciples need at this moment as we hear the story of the disciples and particularly of Thomas. Let's stand, if you are able, and for the reading of the gospel. <clears throat> When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Now, as most of you are aware, again, as I said, this is the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. Traveling in the North Atlantic, taking approximately 1,517 souls as she went to the bottom of the ocean. What's amazing to me is continually just hearing over and over and over about um, the Titanic. Now, I've got to tell you, as I, I told this story first service, um, Tom Alibrandi's young son is now doing some of the work um, for the video kinds of casts uh, of of that service. And 
It was amazing to me to hear him talk about what he has seen on Twitter. Now, many of us don't tweet. Some of us do. But what, what was incredible is he said, are, are you aware of the fact that so many of particularly our younger folks thought that it was a fictional story created by director um, John Cameron? And they were blown away that now there are these historical accounts that talk about and solidify the fact that it really was an historic event. It just it, it struck me so hard as he was telling me about this. And then he, I saw probably 10 to 12 to 15 tweets that were so surprised, uh, all of them saying, was this, it, it was really real? This was really a historic, this was not something made up by this director to make into a movie. And then one tweet that said, what are they teaching these kids anymore? It's amazing, isn't it, how the world has changed. What's, what's gone on? And, and again, it wasn't necessarily a part of the sermon, but, but, but what is amazing to me is how this event, this historic event, has just captured us for literally a hundred years that we keep coming back to it and keep exploring it. And I keep asking, why? Why is it that this event has grabbed hold of us in so many ways? So I asked the first service that question, and they responded with, with some things like, well, because it's so, so much about human arrogance, so much about the fact that we feel like we can conquer nature at all times, so much about the fact that how, how few times um, technology keeps up with requirements. Did you know that the 16 lifeboats fulfilled the requirement of, of that vessel at that time? Even though there was no way that 16 lifeboats could hold the 2,500 people that were on this ship, plus the crew. None of it. And yet, that was the requirement. But what happened to this disaster is so important for us to understand because it was really so much about hype. About the hype that this was an unsinkable vessel. I mean, its sister ship had just been struck by a naval vessel and didn't sink. Who would think that this, this, of all the creations of humankind could possibly sustain such a tragic event that would cause it to in two and a half hours go from the surface to the bottom of the sea. Technology now tells us that the rudder was too small, that even the rivets that were not done the normal way, but because they were done in such a way that they had to be hammered, heated to incredible temperatures and be hammered on both sides, would crumble under the slightest stress in that kind of frigid water. That counting on human eyes looking from a tower at the kind of middle of the ship, and particularly on a clear night, would never be able to see waves crashing against the bottom of an iceberg. Human error, human arrogance, human hype. And yet here we are in this time, and now we can go to theaters and watch it in 3D. But what happened on that fateful night was the iceberg did not, they says, penetrate the side of the ship. The ship went over the top of one of those underwater pieces of the iceberg, which literally scraped the bottom of the, ice, the ship in such a way that it began to dismantle it, even as it went across. And within two and a half hours, 
1,517 plus or minus lives were lost. It was the perfect setup to the perfect disaster in the perfect amount of hype and arrogance. And yet occurred historically. Those of you that didn't know that, yep, historic fact. This event happened. And believe it or not, it did remind me as I was looking at some of the shows around that of, of what was happening around Jesus at this time. And I don't make this relationship because I'm a pastor and it just seems to fit on a Sunday morning. Oh, that helps. But can you imagine? I mean, do you remember the hype? And we talked about that. Um, as Shannon talked about that on Monday, Thursday. The hype around that table that night, and we had it set up up here. I was able to come in on Thursday morning and help set it up, and that's when it really hit uh, the pneumonia. But, but, but remember around that table, all the expectation around that table was that this man who was sitting at the head of that table was going to be the physical king of Israel, that he was going to step in and take care of all the needs of the people of Israel, that he was going to conquer everyone involved, including Rome, and was going to do it in that time, in that moment, in a very physical way, and that was absolutely the expectation of every single other person sitting around that table, including Judas, who finally got that it wasn't going to happen. And that's why he went and reported Jesus to the authorities trying to stop the insanity. And so can you imagine that this one, that every one of these folks thought was unsinkable, even unkillable, suddenly dies. And there's no question but that he died. They, they heard all of it, even though they were in hiding. And not only did Jesus die that day, but, but their heroic dreams of their role in this new kingdom died with him. Died. And the fear in them was then born. And it was a very deep, abiding, soulful fear. And so there they were, locked in this room, terrified of what was going to happen, terrified that now that he was dead, that they were going to be next in line for torture and crucifixion. But not only were they terrified, they were so totally lost. And yet here comes Mary, the one that was kind of always on the outskirts of this group, who came and said that she had seen Jesus. What I loved about Shannon's among the things I loved about Shannon's sermon from last Sunday was the fact that she took this in a place that I've never heard of before. That when Mary was there in the garden with Jesus and Jesus said to her, don't hold me now. That maybe what he was saying to her is, don't hold on to what I was, but allow yourself to be recreated and become what I'm about to be. And you too can be recreated that way. And so here she comes, and she knows where that locked room is. She knows that these guys are off in the darkest alley in the most poverty-stricken area where no one would go in order to find them. And she comes and pounds on the door and says, I've seen him. I've seen him. He's alive. And guess what? They don't respond with excitement. They lock the door again. What is it about fear that does this to us? 
But then, suddenly, he's there. He's there. And he says one word. The first word out of his mouth is the word that they need to hear more than anything else. He says to them, peace. And he doesn't just say it once. He says it over and over again. Peace be with you. And then he breathes on them. And in this very breath of new life, he, he allows them, as Mary saw in the garden, to be reborn and reinvigorated. And the dream that had died was redefined and became something more. But only 10 of them were in that room that day. Judas had already killed himself and Thomas was off somewhere else. That was Thomas. That's how Thomas was. Thomas was always that one who was pushing the limits, always that one who was exploring what was going on beyond where they were, was never be one who to sit in a room and wait for anything to happen. Thomas was always the one who said, I want to face it, I want to see it coming, and then I'll know how to deal with it. I want to deal with reality, not just hype. But he comes back to the room and they're talking to him about this and he says, no, I'm not, I, I, I need to see it. I need to put my hands in the holes. I need to touch them. I need to take and put my hand in the side where the spear went in order to believe. And guess what happens? But Jesus appears again. And without Thomas having to say a word, he says to Thomas, here you go. Go ahead. Put your fingers there. Put your hand in the side. We looked at this bulletin cover for this Sunday and thought it was too graphic of Jesus holding out his, his hands. But once again, what did Jesus do? But he also said, peace be with you, Thomas. And, you know, I, you're fine. I'll give you what you need because that's what you need. What is it about Jesus that continues to do that. Story after story after story in the Gospels proved that out, that no matter what the need was that was in front of him, he dealt with it always immediately in, in a way that anyone needed. Always. At every opportunity. And I kept thinking about us as a church. But to get there, I want to go to Google. Let's go to Google. I had the privilege of going to Google for lunch. Anybody been over at the Google offices? I will tell you, I was absolutely blown away. I went to lunch with a friend over at Google, and uh, it was one of the most profound experiences, believe it or not, of my life, and I'm trying not to you know, make it so huge, but, but I have to. As soon as you walk into Google and as soon as you walk into the offices, you're greeted by one of the most friendly faces you will ever see. Big smile. Who are you here to see? What's your name? Go type it into the computer over there. And what happens then immediately is the other person that you're meeting with comes down and you, uh, one of the Google badges is created for you. It's not just a stick-on name tag. It's a badge. I got to be at Google with a badge. I mean, it was incredible. But, that, but that's only the beginning. 
And then he said, do you want to just see a little bit of Google? And so I said, yeah, of course. I, you know, I'm always curious. I'm the Thomas of, of, of my family. And, and so we began to walk around, and it was immediately apparent that about every 100 feet at the Google offices is a mini kitchen. And by mini kitchen, I don't mean some little tiny kitchen. I mean anything you could possibly want at any moment was in that kitchen from bagels to pastries to, to, to drinks and coffee and tea and Powerade and all the kinds of things, candy, power bars, anything you could possibly want was there in that kitchen, and they had those kitchens about every 100 feet. And then you can't help but look in these office areas, and they're about as big as this part of the room, and the desks are all kinds of facing out. But in more rooms than not, you know what's in the middle of this office area? Is, are the biggest beanbag chairs I've ever seen. So if you need to just you know, scoot from your desk and go sit in the comfort of a beanbag chair, you can do that. And behind every desk are whiteboards with multiple colored pens. So if you've got an idea, suddenly you need to write it down, it's right there for you. But if you want to be alone and quiet, there are all kinds of little cubicles that you can go in and shut the door and just be by yourself. And if you need to meet with someone, there are tons of opportunities, places where you can meet. Some of them are, are literally boats in the side of this building where you can sit around the edges of the boat and have a mini-meeting. Or if you want to get even more creative, they have the infamous barnyard room with, with Bubba-type you know, stuffed animals and barn scenery. And I was thankful there weren't barn smells. But, 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 but everything was there. And then that was all before lunch. Then we went to lunch. And we could have chosen a number of the cafeterias. Every cafeteria has literally every kind of food that you could possibly want, no matter what your diet is. And it's all exquisite. Every possible need was fulfilled. Every one. And then after lunch, we went off, and in the middle of each one of the buildings is an espresso bar would make Starbucks envious. And so got an espresso and went and sat in one of the comfortable spots there and just talked about things. And I, I tell you again, I, I just kept thinking about us. I kept thinking about the church. And I don't mean just Aldersgate. I meant church in general. The other thing about Google, and I'll get off of Google in just a minute, but just... The other thing is they meet with the founders of Google. Everyone has the opportunity to meet with the founders once a week. Now, the founders are both in Mountain View, California, and so they do, they do video conferencing. Every idea is listened to. Every idea is voted on, most often by the greater body. And one of the things that had just come up the day before I went to lunch over there was... Um, one of the young secretaries said, you know what, I don't think... Our matching giving is big enough. I want to. I want to. I want to ask that we double that to the organizations to whom we give, and that if the idea is for giving, um, that we, that what we do is give twice as much as we've given. And you know what? This young secretary's idea went to the top immediately, and that day they doubled their giving to those in need. Why in the world do I talk about Google on the day we're talking about the Titanic and Thomas and the disciples and Jesus? 
The Titanic was absolutely, the builders of the Titanic were absolutely convinced that what they were providing was what people needed for this transatlantic trip. The opulence, the China, that everyone was given exactly what they needed, but they, they, they failed in one small little thing, didn't they? Lifeboats. One author said that if the Titanic, what, what the, the moral story of this is that if the Titanic can sink, any one of us is sinkable. But there are things that we can do to bring buoyancy to each other and health and faith. And I keep thinking about the church. I keep thinking about Jesus providing anyone and everyone that they needed whenever they needed it, and that that need was always fulfilled immediately. And that's where Google comes in. I think there's an arrogance in churches today. I think there's an arrogance about the fact that we are everything that anybody could possibly need. But what's happened in in so many churches, and way too many churches, and I've served a few, that believe that that, you know, we're just fine as long as we're taking care of each other. That, that everything we do is okay and that, that we just need to be focused in on what we need inside this building. And if somebody comes in and they have some other need, then you know what? They can go somewhere else. That's arrogance. And that's the kind of arrogance that's killing Christianity. And it is. It's sinking the church. And I keep wondering about Aldersgate. And I will tell you that beginning in two weeks, we're going to examine this stuff pretty heavily. And what now, after I've been here almost 10 months, what is next for the church? What's my vision? What do I see is needed for the church? But I'm going to begin it this Sunday. Is anyone who walks through that door needs to be immediately facing things that respond to their need? We need to be the Google of faith. We need to be. That if a young family walks in, and you know what, there is nothing that says, particularly Sunday school, that what we need to be ready with is a young family who can greet them and kind of mentor them and walk with them to wherever they need to go. That if people are walking in and they're hungry, that they are immediately aware that there is food out here. Or that if they need a Bible, that there is a table or some kind of display out here that has all kinds of Bibles that they can choose from. And people who are standing at that table offering that to them because so few people will take, but almost everybody will receive. Do you hear the difference? Most importantly, what we need to be doing is being out there in the community, not just looking at who's hungry and who's thirsty and who is in need of clothes. We need to be doing those things, but we need to be asking the tough questions about what is it that you're looking for. And I will tell you right now that there's not a person out there that isn't looking for community. People are looking for the kind of community where they can come and trust and, and just be who they are. And so many churches can't provide that because they can't get beyond themselves. Are we that church? I pray not. We need to be the lifeboats for folks. We need to be offering ourselves to those in need.
We need to be the hands and feet, the mouth, the ears, the eyes of Jesus. When somebody can walk in and just know that they've walked into their home. So funny, first service, I mean, with Bubba up here, two of the kids just couldn't let go of him. And I just kept thinking, for them, this became a family room. Isn't that what it's supposed to be? Friends, let's not be arrogant. Let's not be arrogant, believing that we are all things just taking care of our own needs. It's time to begin to think more with more innovation and to see ourselves in a role in the community beyond where we are right now, particularly on a Sunday morning. It always astounds me, I'll close with this thought, it always astounds me that we have 500 people on Easter Sunday, but the next week it's always not just down, but way down. Why is that? And might there have been things that we could have done that would have more readily engaged some of those guests who were here last Sunday. We've got a lot of work to do. But I'm really excited about that work. I can tell you stories of churches. I won't do that this morning. We're out of time. But, but in two weeks, I'm excited about the next sermon series. Very excited about now being able to say to you, here's where I feel we're called to go. Let's do it humbly. Let's do it creatively. Let's not get on each other for innovation. Let's create a community that is absolutely trusting in each other, but not so self-focused as to miss the needs of those beyond these doors. Will you pray with me? God of creation, the article that I read this week of the greater church being the Titanic was hard to read. Help us remember who it is that we're seeking to follow. And that none of us are just on an individualized journey. But the journey that we take up is a journey that doesn't just include those who are in this room or in this church. And Jesus sent the disciples. He said, go. And we need to go and ask and seek and develop those relationships and then invite I love this church. I thank you for this church. And I look forward to going deeper together on this journey of faith. Guide us as Thomas's and any of the other disciples. Guide us. Strengthen us. Encourage us. Motivate us. All this we ask in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.